Hi there, I'm Nikki Saunders and you're listening to the Parenting Playbook podcast. Hi and welcome to today's episode. Today I will be speaking with Kerry who has an incredible and inspiring story that takes her from what she felt was a happy childhood to at the age of 15 finding herself in a domestic violence relationship. 13 years later with two young boys Kerry fled her relationship and went on a voyage of discovery. After much exploration and self-growth, Kerry realised that maybe her experiences in adulthood were influenced by her childhood experiences and as a result, she has created an amazing company called Resilience Voyage which supports young people learning the art of resilience in the guise of a drugs bus. Kerry's story is simply inspirational in how she turned around, how she parented her two boys and the relationship she has with them today as a result. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome Kerry to the Parenting Playbook podcast. So today I've got Kerry Farmer with me and she is the owner of Resilience Voyage, which is an incredible organisation, but she's also got an amazing story about her own childhood how that translated into adulthood and also um, where Resilience Voyage came from. So she's got an amazing drugs bus and I'm so excited to speak to you today about your journey and how you got to this amazing drugs bus uh, bus and and you do parenting programs as well, don't you? Yeah, no, I do. Thanks ever so much for having me. Yeah, no, it's been, um, it has been a bit of a journey actually, now you've pointed that out. Yeah, I think you just kind of, when you're in it and doing it, you don't realise kind of all those things that have been involved in it necessarily at the time, but it's so important to kind of recognise those areas and see how they benefited you. Absolutely. So can you tell me a little bit about, from the start really, of your childhood and how that translated into your teenagers, adulthood, and being a mum as well, because mm. you're a mum of... Three three <laughs> yes yes tell me the ages of those the three children so i got three children there 17 15 and 7 so a bit of an age gap between the last and the first two um but that's also been very interesting as well actually kind of learning and growing and see how i've changed and developed in my parenting from when my boys were little to when i had my daughter so it's made a big difference yeah um but yeah that's definitely been impacted by kind of my childhood my upbringing and been reflected in my parenting at the beginning to how I changed it and developed it uh, later on oh that's amazing and I'm guessing that's as a result of with awareness because when you had your youngest child you'd come you'd gone through quite a lot hadn't you can you tell me a little bit about what what's happened on your journey yeah so I suppose again not recognizing any to start off with but um my upbringing when I was younger I was considered to be absolutely fantastic my parents were very supportive and loving and caring however they have their own traumas and issues that they were dealing with and that reflected in their ability to parents so they were very short-tempered um very unpredictable in terms of how they dealt with us which I think really I think it's that unpredictability that can be so hard to manage um and like I said not that I recognized it at all um I ended up going on and I became I was very anxious as a child but covered that with anger so I was probably quite an aggressive teenager 
um, caused my mum and dad no end of worries, I would, <laughs> I would imagine. Um, but I suppose, again, that's kind of what I saw from them a lot of the time and not in a neglectful, horrible way. I think it would just probably be classed as standard parenting. You know, you do something wrong, you get screamed and shouted at and swore at and um, smacked maybe. Um, and as you grow up, I think definitely in my early 20s, I kind of, and my late teens, I kind of saw it as just standard. That's just my upbringing. And well, actually... Was, yeah, it was your normal. And and this yeah. is the thing for all of us. I think when we're... Our childhoods are our normal, and it's how we interpret them that deciphers whether or not we depict whether we've had a good childhood or a poor childhood, because it's just our normal yeah absolutely and I and even like you know me and my sister make loads of jokes about it and find it quite funny and amusing you know all the stories of my mum kicking off about something or dad kicking off and, and I was genuinely convinced that I found it quite amusing and quite funny and it didn't really bother me and continued in that way and it wasn't until later on that I then realized actually a lot of those things had really impacted my emotional well-being and how I went on to parent my children. Um, I ended up in a domestic violence relationship when I was 15. And uh, I think, I think again, that kind of people pleasing role that you take on from the unpredictability of my parents, um, then kind of getting in this relationship where I'm people pleasing again, dealing with that unpredictable behavior again, which I would, like I said, I kind of felt it was from domestic violence from 15, I was in there 15 to 28. And I, as I got older, I felt that oh, it was only that that had impacted me. It was only that relationship. Everything else was fine. And it wasn't until I started thinking about it a bit more, thinking about kind of my behaviours and how I was going about things. Actually, I realised I've always had that unpredictability. You know, one day I would say something to my parents that they found funny. The next day I could say something quite similar and I'd be told off for it and shouted at and screamed at. And I'm like, oh, well, you found that funny the other day. I don't understand what I've done wrong. I never really quite knew where I stood. And then that kind of followed me into that relationship where I had, again, another you know, 13 years of it, um, of not really knowing what to say or what to do. So you learned that um, unpredictability um, was, again, normal. Um, aggression was normal. And actually it was a, a symbol of love at some level because your parents loved you and they behaved in a, yeah. this similar way. Um, so therefore, why wouldn't you be with somebody who, you know, showed the same traits? Yeah, and like you said, you feel it's quite normal. And and although part of me knew it wasn't right, a lot of the behaviors that, that my ex kind of gave to me, um, it also, again, becomes quite normal. And I think in those relationships, you're then filled with, you're told it's your fault and it's your shame and you feel quite embarrassed of that situation. So you just think I'm kind of, I kind of, I see it as a bit like, it's probably not a great analogy to use, but like when you've got a car and you put so much money into it and so much effort into it, but it keeps breaking and it keeps going on, but you're like, I'm kind of stuck here now. Mm -hmm. I got to kind of go with it and shove more into it to try and make it work because otherwise I've lost so much. And I think it feels the same in, in a domestic violence relationship. You feel like I've put so much in, I've lost so much from being here. I've kind of got to persevere with it now. That's how it feels, although that is not the case. But I think when you're in it, that's how it can feel to a lot of people. Uh, yeah, I would agree. And I think, you know, when you, you just said about people pleasing, I think when 
a child is raised in an unpredictable environment, they often do try to appease their parents. And then we're drawn to somebody who we equally need to appease. And so maybe even fix. Uh, I think mm-hmm. some people, they see this person who's, you know, who's who's aggressive and who struggles with their emotions. And they're like, I just want to help this person. I just want so you get into this relationship and things shift and change and maybe you see some you know maybe they are a little bit less aggressive or violent or whatever the case may be so it's working right so it's yeah. that thing of there's loads of reasons why people stay in domestic violence relationships and it's not because they don't have the power to get out it's usually to do with their conditioning and their self-worth as well and unfortunately in these situations our self-worth get slowly chipped away and therefore we feel we have less and less power exactly and I think is along those people pleasing lines as well is actually as a society that's seen as as a good quality you know yeah. someone who does as they're told we literally instill it into our own children you know do as you're told I've told you yeah. you must obey and then we wonder why we grow up to be people that tend to obey what people say and then you're like yeah. oh okay <laughs> I think it's those sorts of realizations as when I have my children I was just like uh, wh- why am I doing this I don't I don't want my child to be somebody that has to obey everybody or thinks that they have to or you know because someone's an adult they have power over you or, or a certain position that they have you know they are always right and you are always wrong no absolutely not um but definitely that was how I was brought up and I think like you said it's seen as completely normal to um be that way and yeah. and to instill that into our children yeah, so yeah and, and having that all the way through like you said from a child then in that relationship is instilled even more that kind of they're right you're wrong your self-worth is chipped down um so you think that actually i got nothing else um this is kind of what i deserve um and then you kind of find yourself a bit stuck absolutely and i think what we've got to remember is in the previous generations they had a book and their own experiences from childhood. So they had very little emotional literacy when it came Mm -hmm. to raising children. And this is one of the things I feel really passionately about is helping people to break some of those um, unhealthy family cycles. Because as I say, our parents didn't have the resources available to them that are available now. Um, And it's amazing that you because I think from our, from the chat that we've had, I think with your first two children, you found yourself repeating some of the traits. Is that right? Mm-hmm. From your childhood? And actually, yeah. you've seen that it, it's different now with your seven-year-old. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, I definitely repeated probably all of those traits with my children. Um, I, I think my children were three and five when I left my abusive ex. Um, and I was seeing lots of what we class as kind of behavioral issues in my children. Um, I was really struggling to cope with them. I saw them as a massive burden. Um, I didn't want to take them anywhere. I didn't want anything because they're going to misbehave. You know, there's something wrong with my children. And I blamed it fully on the domestic violence situation. I said, it's obviously impacted them. That's what it is. Then we continued on. I wasn't with my partner. Um, so it was just me in the house. But the behaviour still continued. I was still getting the same responses to how I was doing it. You know, I'd shout and scream, I'd punish, I'd take things away. And I guess just, I'm still getting the same response. Like, my kids aren't doing anything I say. Um, they seem to throw a tantrum about everything as far as I saw it. 
And then I started to think, well, actually, maybe this is down to that situation. Maybe there's something that I'm doing here. So, um, yeah, there's one situation that really stood out to me um, and kind of highlighted the way that I was parenting. We, we were on holiday and the boys were arguing and having a fight and I'd gone in to sort it out and noticed that a phone had been broken. So I'm shouting at them and I'm having, having a go at them about it and saying, like, you know, who's done this? You're going to lose this. You're going to do that. You're going to have to go home. Again, seeing that as perfectly normal behavior, all parents shout their kids, especially when they've done something like this, you know, they were smashed and it's very expensive. Um, so there's nothing wrong with the way that I'm treating them. So I'm screaming and shouting at them. Eventually my eldest son says, oh, it was me, I broke it. <clears throat> so he got told off, got things taken away from him, wasn't allowed to do certain stuff. Anyway, about two weeks later, we're having a conversation. I can't remember what it was about in general, but it came up and he's like, oh, I didn't even break the phone. I'm like, what do you mean you didn't break it? If you didn't break it, why did you say that you did? Again, probably still quite aggressive. <laughs> you know, like having a go at him about it. And he was like, because you look like you were going to kill me. It's like, so I just, I just said it was me to make you stop. And that, that was like a stab in the heart. I was just so upset to think of him being that scared that you would admit something you hadn't done just because you're frightened of what that person might do. And I remember feeling exactly the same with how my dad used to have a go at us. And he would never hit us, never smack us, whereas my mum was more of a smacker. Um, but my dad wasn't, he never did. But I was petrified of him. And that went on until I was really old. I was still quite fearful of, of upsetting him in some way. And I just thought, that's, that's horrible, that my son was so frightened that he would just admit something that he didn't do. So it was that was kind of a big eye opener to take a look at what I was doing. I didn't want my children to be scared of me. I didn't want to parent through fear to make them behave themselves. I wanted them to do things because they wanted to do them. So I think that was probably a starting point for realizing. Then I started seeing a lot of other things that I was doing that was actually exactly the same as the way that I was brought up recognizing that actually the majority of my children's issues were probably down to how I was parenting them because don't get me wrong domestic violence impacts children massively being in that environment and seeing those things of course it does but as we know it only takes one person to emotionally support that child and things can be very different and they weren't having that I was emotionally shut off from my traumas so although I was there for them and I would hug them and I would kiss them it was kind of like the lights are on, but no one's home. It was kind of just emotion that I went through because that's how what you do with your children. But it was very false and very fake. And I think kids feel that energy. They know that it's not real. They know that when they're talking to me, I'm, I'm, my mind's not there. I'm listening, I'm nodding. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's great, that's great, that's great. But I'm not actually paying any attention to what they do. Like I said, I was one of those parents that hated school holidays. The thought of the school holiday coming up, couldn't wait to get rid of them when the time came for them to go back to school, although we did lots of great acts. And I think reflecting back now, I think my mum was very much the same. She was very loving and caring, but I don't think a lot of it was very genuine because of her traumas and how she was dealing with things. And this is how these things go round and round and round because you've got the, you know, my mum was doing the same, kind of gave me the same emotional issues, um, which then I was putting back onto my children and they had very limited emotional awareness. I wasn't showing them how to do those things very well, how to manage our emotions. You know, as soon as something annoyed me, I'm screaming and shouting and telling them off and giving them punishments. 
but then I'm expecting them to manage themselves really well. <laughs> you know, don't you shout at me. Don't you lose your temper with me. But here's mum actually not doing any of those things. And that's not to say that we're perfect all the time because we're absolutely not. But I had literally no awareness. And even if they pointed out, well, you shout at me, I'd be like, I'm an adult. You, it doesn't matter what I do. You know, none of that acceptance that I've done something wrong. So then I'm, when they're not showing me that they, you know, when they've done something wrong and they're deny, 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 that's no different to what I was doing to them. I'd be like, I'm absolutely not in the wrong. But the thing is, in your mind at the time, you won't have seen that you were doing anything wrong because yeah. that's what had been modelled to you. And just a quick question about that, because you said about your mum's traumas. So when you look at your grandparents and how she was parented, can you see mm -hmm. the link as to... Yeah. And, and, and I'm just surmising here, but it's really a question more than anything. If you... Because I'm sure you've heard about your mum's experience in childhood and her parents usually what happens is it becomes diluted down the generations but not vastly so when you look at your grandparent or your mum's childhood versus your childhood I suspect she she genuinely felt mm -hmm. she was providing you with a better childhood than she had yeah, and yeah. and therefore and also for your children I suspect you will have because you will have been because what you haven't said is that you were doing the smacking, you were doing the shouting, but not the smacking. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you, again, it was diluted again. Is that, is that a fair? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I can see how my mum, so her childhood was quite traumatic. I think, again, my grandparents had a lot of trauma as well and were going through lots of things, but she always tried to make sure that she was there to support us. And she would like what I class as kind of flip out. And then she'd be like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And kind of come back with, Mm. with that kind of love and care and attention so I was always fully sure that they loved me that was never in doubt whereas I think in her childhood she was probably not very certain that her parents loved her or cared about her and felt quite neglected that was so yeah she definitely changed that and then for me like I said my big thing was like I will not smack my children I won't hit them I, I that always blew my mind in terms of how you can and quite often you smack a kid for smacking someone <laughs> and I was just it just didn't make sense to me so yeah I tried to not do that and I tried to make sure I did all the physical things that needed to be done and felt. Like you said, I think a lot of the time, the not not everyone, obviously, but the majority of parents come from a good place. You know, Absolutely. you're trying to do well and you think that what you're doing <clears throat> is the best for your children. And it's not and unless you have some awareness and, and look at those things and where they come from and why you're doing it. It's only then that you realize that maybe it's not the best for them. Like I said, I had, I never had any intention of hurting my children or upsetting them or harming them in any way. And I was always brought up that kind of, you need to make them be able to get on with things. You know, when they fell over, I'm like, come on, get up, off you go, get on with it. Never a hug, never a, you know, you're right. And again, I noticed even in that simple example there, I noticed how much one of my sons, it made him far worse. Mm -hmm. So then whenever he hurt himself, even if it was the slightest little scrape, he would be screaming and wailing I'd be like, you know, I'm trying to teach him to just get up and get on. And it's just getting worse and worse because actually what he wanted was some love and affection and emotional care there that mm. he wasn't getting. So he, he was quite old and I had to go back to kind of, come on, come on, have a hug with mum, come and sit on mum's lap and those sorts of things, which you would might expect with a younger child. But he'd never had that as a younger child. So even though he was older and um, probably early teenage years and that, he used to like, come on, come and have a hug because he'd never received those things. And then actually I found that those situations stopped being so dramatic because actually he was getting what he needed. He knew he could come to me and I would say, oh God, that must hurt. Come and have a cuddle. Whereas before I'd be like, don't be silly. 
doesn't hurt you've done nothing you know your toe might be hanging off but you're all right get up go on <laughs> but what an incredible switch you know mm. in a way that phone situation provided you with an incredible gift of, of awareness and yeah. sometimes and, and I'm sure there were many situations before similar but for whatever reason at that point you and maybe because you'd been out of your relationship for a period of time, your brain was able to rather be in, than be in survival mode constantly, you were able to see things with more clarity. But what an amazing shift for you. And you didn't just let it go. You then, by the sounds of it, you then started to really dig a little bit deeper and go, well, actually, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And none of that feels actually right. And I suppose a question I want to ask you is, is do you, you know, if we look inwards and we, we see something and we have that internal sense that what I'm doing here isn't right, but somehow it's in conflict with our modeling. It's somehow mm -hmm. in conflict with our experiences. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. And I think I think that's the hard part is we're constantly in conflict with yeah. a lot of things. And, and we see one side of something and then we think, well, actually, you know, like I said, I, I could notice things that, I, that didn't sit too well with me and I didn't like. But actually, everyone else around me are telling me that's perfectly OK. What I see is that's perfectly OK. Or or we think that because we're saying those things, it doesn't matter whether I do those things or not. Another good example of that is. I had severe anxiety, like massively severe anxiety. But I always made sure that I didn't say those things in front of my children. That was very important to me. I didn't want them to be anxious and upset. Funnily enough, all of my children were extremely anxious because it doesn't matter whether I'm saying, oh, look, there's a giant slide. Come on, kids, get on down the slide. We, you know, we can do this. And I would give all the right talk. But then they'd say, mummy, you coming down? Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. I'm not coming down that slide. So although I was saying the right things, I wasn't showing them to do those things. The same with like spiders. I was petrified of spiders. And I wouldn't, if a spider came in when I was sat there, if I was on my own, I'd probably be like, oh my God, I'd freak out. But if my kids were there, I'd make sure I'd say, oh, he's all right. We like the spider. Don't worry about it. Mum, can you pick it up and move it? N no, no, we'll just leave him there. He's, he's all good. But yeah, all my children had severe anxiety, like quite bad, particularly my eldest at the time. Because, yeah, because I think we just see as, as long as I say the right things, it doesn't matter what I'm doing myself. And I don't think we notice that a lot. It's, again, just because if you're not aware, you're just not aware. You don't know what you don't know. Um, and a lot of the time, yeah, we don't recognise to look at those little things and how that's impacting on our children at all. And no. why would we? Like you said, no one else is saying it, no one else is doing it, which is why things like, like you know, kind of this podcast and what you do is fantastic because... Even though we've moved on a long way in terms of knowing about emotion, uh, kind of emotional support and that emotional awareness, it's actually still really not around. Yeah, you know, we know we know a lot more, but it's not really there. Um, so actually, these things are fantastic to bring that awareness to looking at those different ways of doing things and kind of what we do and how that impacts people, um, particularly our children. Absolutely. And I think as adults, we do recognize that we can, well, we recognize that if there's a bad vibe coming off of somebody or you, you can just tell, can't you? You know, when somebody's in a bad mood, you feel it. They don't have to say anything. You can yep. just feel it. And what we fail to understand is that every time we interact with somebody, they're picking up our energy 
but because it's mm-hmm. not tangible we we don't necessarily listen to it so our children pick up on our energy they they pick up on whether we're anxious whether we're angry they usually especially um younger children if they're in challenging in, in challenging environments they'll learn to read a room they will learn mm-hmm. to read what's going on with their parents or their siblings or whatever it happens to be and they learn that innate trait and that's through uh the energy that we all exude every single day yeah, so 100% exactly what you're saying isn't it is your behavior was one thing but it didn't match there wasn't a congruence between your behavior and how you felt and that would have created not any conscious confusion in them but it would there would be an element of confusion in that yeah a hundred percent and I think that's definitely what I experienced as a child and I and I definitely did the same to my children because I think also we think that we hide things really well like you said like, you know, when you're in a bad mood and you're trying to, like, be nice through gritted teeth, like, come on, let's not do that now. Um, and think that nobody notices. And I realised as time went on, actually, I'm, I'm not very good at it at all. And my my children definitely picked up on that. But then also then that's there's that confusion when the children then ask you, are you OK? Yeah, I'm fine. Mm. But like you said, what you're kind of that energy you're giving off is not a fine so they're like, okay, hang on, they're saying they're fine, but they don't sound fine. Like I so said, they're not consciously thinking about these things, but there's definitely know. that process going on. And I remember doing that in both my childhood and in my relationship of just that constant fear of thinking, I know you're not fine. Now I need to try and please to make sure that everything is fine. And you can see how this goes round and round. Like I said, not intentionally, but once you start recognizing those things, and also once I started working on myself, and seeing how things impacted me, I was then able to relate that to my children. And rather than seeing kind of their tantrums or whatever you want to call them as inconveniences for me and just to be annoying to me, I actually saw them for what they were, that my child is struggling. That's what's happening. They're not trying to annoy me, um, but I was so defensive and so um, kind of anxious about things. Actually, I was placing all those things onto them and that wasn't the case yeah um, and when I could see it in a completely different way address it in a completely different way um I'd say it's been life-changing for all of us absolutely mm-hmm. and to also see that process in two different ways my children uh, my oldest boys were brought up with that sort of mum at the beginning and then having to change that as they got older but my daughter was brought up with how I am now from the start, which again is still a work in progress. Don't get me wrong. I don't think you ever stop learning and growing and changing and adapting um, as things move on, but she's definitely had much more of that kind of emotional awareness. And it really, really shows in Mm. how she addresses situations at seven years old. You know, she can point out and will point out very quickly, you don't sound very happy, mummy. Mm. And I'm like, no, actually, do you know what? You're right. But Mm. that is not um nothing to do with what you've done darling and I will explain now whereas my boys I, I thought always thought it was better to hide those things from them they shouldn't know that there's problems going on you shouldn't put these issues onto young children's shoulders and I'm not suggesting that I should have told them the ins and outs of my relationship because that wouldn't have been appropriate either but actually that awareness of actually do you know what you're right I haven't had a great day today because of this this and this um but let's try and do something to make our, ourselves feel a bit better so I'm not confusing her because she can sense that I'm not great. I'm not then pretending that I'm fine. I'm now saying, actually, let's talk about that. And then when she's feeling those things, she'll talk about them as well. And it's so wonderful to see. And, they, and I think when you see those 
those key moments that really encourages you to keep going. And actually, this is the way, this is the better way. Does it mean that my children behave all the time? Absolutely not, because they're children. Um, and also that acceptance, I think, is is much needed. I think we live in a world where we expect children to behave and we hold them to a higher standard than we would have as an adult, let alone as a child who is not emotionally um, developed in that way. You know, as we know, that part of our brain that helps us with self-control and all those things doesn't develop till we're in our 20s. No. Yet we're expecting children to have full-on self-control and be able to manage that, what they can have. So I definitely see my children as children now and expect them to behave at the age that they are, which is they will do things that they shouldn't do. They have limited self-control. Um, quite often they'll do things. I'm like, where did that even come from? How did you think of that? But I see it in a different light now rather than with kind of the anger that I had because I couldn't cope with myself. Now that I can more so, I'm able to see those things for what they are. Absolutely. And I really want to echo what you said earlier about a majority of parents parent with the best intention. Yeah. You know, we none of us, we don't we don't set out to harm our children in any way, shape or form. And I think that's really important. What I'm also interested. In, so tell me how old the boys were when you had this epiphany essentially and you started on this journey of oh I need to do this differently because I think there's a lot of people out there that will think there's lots of science about well the first 18 months is super important and it is and mm -hmm. the first five years are super important and it is so there's going to be a lot of people and there may be people listening to this that are in a domestic violence relationship right now mm -hmm. and they know that their environment isn't good for their children and they think well that's it I've screwed it up it's all going to be awful now. And I, I think there is always room to shift. So I'm really interested in yeah. how old your kids were and actually the impact that that's your changing your way of parenting has mm. had on the boys as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah, no, I would completely agree. It's never too late. Not to my boys were probably seven and nine so quite old in terms of like you said development and those important years they always say like you know kind of the formative years are the most important and the kind of the damages and don't get me wrong you can see how it's been more difficult for them to move through this process than it has been for my daughter who's always had that kind of way of thinking for her but it's definitely definitely not something that there's an age cut off and and it's been actually fantastic to see my um Middle child had loads of um, kind of behavioural, again, what we class as behavioural issues. Um, but as we know, behaviour always comes from somewhere. Um, so he would have had all of those things. And the shift's been massive, you know, much. And we have such a fantastic relationship now, whereas before it was always arguments, just constant arguments in our house, 24-7 of somebody shouting at somebody. The boys would argue a lot. I would argue with them because... I had limited self-control in my, you know, I was kind of a naught to 60 in two seconds type of person. They've done something and now I'm screaming and shouting, whereas we don't, we have quite a quiet household. We still have fun, but it's, you know, I, when I go to a friends and family's house, oh, your house is so loud. It's always <laughs> saying, whereas we tend to just have a chit chat about things. And I'm not, I don't want to try and make it sound magical and whatnot, because it, it's not, it's, it's a real house. Um, and there's still lots of things that go on, still lots of challenges we face. We just deal with them in such a different way mm. now. Um, my instant go-to would have been shouting and screaming at my kids and blaming. There was definitely a lot of that going on. And manipulation. Again, I wouldn't have recognised it as manipulation, but I think we definitely, 
as a society massively manipulate our children they said from a good place because we think it's going to benefit them if they do it kind of our way and we'll manipulate them into doing it and I try try not to do that so much now but I do find myself still doing these things occasionally and I, and but actually with that awareness so you can pick it up quicker absolutely. you can apologize for those things and you can move forward I never would have said sorry previously absolutely not because I'm an adult and I'm never wrong Whereas now I recognize that that is not the case. And I learned so much from my children, but I think they have grown so much. When my son started primary school, my eldest, he couldn't look off the floor. He would constantly look at the floor. He was really anxious and he's 17 now, but to even consider him as an anxious child, um, yeah, it's just, it's just not him at all. When I mentioned to people how anxious he used to be, they're like, no way, he's, he's not like that. And then my middle son, you know, we don't have angry outbursts. We don't have, um, he might get frustrated with something, but the worst that we get is maybe a few choice words and then he'll go away and think about it and we come back. And I just think the progress yeah. is fantastic. And again, I think it was also through my middle child as well, having so many problems. And back when he was younger, I was just like, Do you know what, he's got a problem. Somebody needs to change him. So I take him to all these appointments and stuff and go and see different um different maybe therapists or GPs and stuff like there's something wrong with him but actually like we said before it was my behavior and my triggers that were kind of escalating his responses whereas actually now I've changed that it's a complete turnaround and I think like you said it's so important to realize that it's never too late um even you know I know people who've got adult children you know in their 20s 25 30 and their relationship has flipped on its head yeah. because of them managing working on their own triggers and their own thought processes and then being able to show that to their children doesn't matter how old they are you can still change that relationship and you have parents who didn't speak to their children up until that point because their kids didn't want to have anything to do with them actually were able to turn that around because they changed and grown themselves absolutely and I think what you what you're describing there is emotion dysregulation Mm -hmm. so you were emotionally dysregulated and yep. that very much can often be steeped in our childhood when we're not allowed to express emotion safely and in a way that we are experiencing it because our parents go you must not speak like that you must not do that you must not behave like that you must not feel like that and I think that then breeds into adulthood. And then we as adults are dysregulated. We see this in society so much where people talk yeah. about the red mist, they just go off. It's emotional dysregulation. But children are naturally emotionally dysregulated because yeah. the brains aren't able to compute it. And it's our job to help to regulate them. And I think what you've just described is when you flip that switch, and I'd imagine it felt like a switch at the time, but there would have been an awful lot of growth that went on yeah. after that, and probably still growing. I'm, yeah. I'm a therapist myself, and I'm always growing when it comes to emotion regulation mm -hmm. and parenting. I've only had, ever had a 23-year-old once. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm still learning. Um, yeah. But I think if, if we're dysregulated, our children then struggle to manage their regulation even more so because they're just following our, yeah. our footsteps following in, in our footsteps and as you say I completely agree with you I, th I don't think it's ever too late ever yeah. too late to because our children just want to bond with us that's all they want mm -hmm. and so I'm really interested in how this took you to the drugs bus I feel like <laughs> I'm saying drugs bust but you know the drugs 
bus. <laughs> not a lot of people do call it that. <laughs> it's like I don't want to make I want to make sure I'm not saying the wrong thing here. So tell me about how did that come to fruition and when? So um, it was uh, about seven years ago. Now we've been running for and when you had your daughter, quite yes. When you had your daughter, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's probably it was literally. It would have been the same year that she was born, I think, that we started that that mm. process. Um, but basically, the company revolves around resilience, helping people build up um, how they think and feel and how that, understand how we think and feel and how that impacts our behaviour um, to build resilience to life. And, and that comes from a big portion of it in terms of my personal background, you know, having that ex- experiences that I had and realising that actually we all have something that's kind of gone and we've had to deal with kind of our parents and way that they were brought up that thing to us and then we also have all things that go on in life whatever it may be doesn't have to be um seen as extreme as domestic violence or anything like that but all those things in themselves just dealing with other people in our day-to-day life makes us kind of pick up negative responses to certain situations and things that don't benefit us so I ended up discovering that I had complex post-traumatic stress disorder. I struggled with my mental health massively, as you can imagine, from those situations. And as I said, I left my ex when I was 28, and I struggled with my mental health for a long, long time, not being really aware of what was going on for me. Like I said, blaming my children, thinking it was their problem and everyone else's fault, struggling really with a lot of physical issues that I put down to medical concerns, but actually it was my severe anxiety that I wasn't even recognising. And again, same as yourself, I worked in psychology. I worked in a psychology department in a prison. I helped people understand how they think and feel. Mm. And I had no way of putting these dots together. You know, I'm just like, there's something medically wrong with me. All these thoughts, you know, I don't really know what that is. We'll pretend that doesn't happen um, and we'll just carry on. And I was also brought up through my parents that you just get on with things. People can't see you fail. And that was so strong that I couldn't ask for help. I couldn't point out, I couldn't bring myself to do it, to to say that there was something wrong with the way that I was feeling to get that help and support. Um, Eventually it got so bad that I was like, I have to go and see somebody now. I'm, you know, I was fearful that I was going to, I was fearful I was going to lose it in in kind of, that's what it felt like. I was coming towards the edge and and I was fearful that I wouldn't be able to come back from that. So that's when I started seeking support. But I was in my well, I was probably in my early 30s then, my late 20s, early 30s, where I'm thinking, and when it when I started working on that more, like you said, putting all the pieces together, having a bit more awareness, why do we not know this? Why are we not taught these things? And um, so whilst I was still working in the prison, I started doing some work on this because I've always been fascinated with the way that we think and feel and why we do what we do, hence why I worked in a prison, because I couldn't understand why people commit such heinous crimes. Um and then, yeah, I just, just decided to to stop moaning about it and do something about it. You know, I see and see I see the systems and the way that we work as a society. I didn't like it. I didn't like the way that we went about supporting people, and so decided to do something about it. And I started the company with a colleague and a friend um, who had similar thoughts about it, similar negative experiences in her life, and struggled with her mental health. And we came up with this idea of helping build their resilience because it's not something that's just there like you wake up one day and ding I'm resilient and we have all these negative coping strategies that we quite often don't realize are negative we don't realize how much they're not actually helping us 
because they've helped us before. Like my hypervigilance helped me when I was in that relationship massively. But once I wasn't in it, it was no longer beneficial. It was actually causing me so much more harm, but I couldn't get out of that cycle of having to watch everybody and watch everything. And actually I was finding myself, um, you mentioned earlier about that kind of intuition when we pick up on things, but actually when you've had those ne negative experiences, what you pick up on and how you interpret it is not always right. And mine was massively skewed. I was picking up everything as negative. So I was worrying about everyone's looks, everyone's comments. What did they mean by that? That, you know, there's something behind it. And it was always focused towards the negative because that's all I'd known. Um, so although we have these things, which are fantastic, sometimes they become skewed through our life experiences. And I wanted to help people know more about it and do something about it so that we know that actually, like you said, it's not the end. It's not, we're not stuck. We don't have to stay here. We can actually move forward with our lives. And, and I think once as well, once you've been through that and you realize that there is another side, you want to share that with everybody. You know, I was in that position where I thought, you know, I was that person stuck in that domestic violence relationship seeing the way that my kids were impacted and thinking there is there's nothing here for us you know there's nothing left there is no way out now we're stuck here forever because even if I leave it's not going to be great because they tell you all those things in that relationship even if I leave it's never going to end it's never going to change my kids are stuck like this and it's not the case it really isn't and to realize that and see that there can be something fantastic on the other side it takes time don't get me wrong and even with my children, that's taken a long time to work through and to change and develop. And like you said, we're still always growing, but there is something better on the other side, 100%. Absolutely. And I think I, what I've picked up here is a little bit of a thread and a theme because, you know, you were talking about when the kids were young and you'd be like, come on, get up, you know, just, you know, I think you were probably trying to instill resilience in them. Yeah but it was in a way that wasn't necessarily nurturing. And now you flip that to, um, I want to build, help people build resilience, but in a nurturing way. Now, yes. I, and again, I'm sure you will agree with me on this. People do not become drug addicts or alcoholics because they enjoy it. <laughs> it's usually a, a coping mechanism for them to just get through life and manage their emotions, suppress their emotions usually. Yeah. So, so tell me what you do on the drugs bus and, and the things that you, cause you go into schools, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. So we have lots of workshops, but the drugs bus is the most um, recognizable one. And basically it's a double decker bus that's um, kitted out in an immersive way. So we've got a drugs den upstairs. We've got prison cells on board. And like you said, it's looking at these topics, but from that angle of why it's yeah. not necessarily about the drugs facts or the prison facts It's actually more about looking at why do people get involved in this? Because I think as a society, we're really good at picking up people who potentially are in neglectful homes, mm -hmm. but we're missing all these people like ourselves. Like, you know, my kids never would have been highlighted in a school as needing extra support and care because what I was giving them was acceptable parenting mm. um was it acceptable do I think it was acceptable now absolutely not and um, did it massively impact my children yes but I never would have been noticed so though we take the topic of drugs and we immerse into that it's actually more about understanding why like you said drug addicts don't end up as drug addicts just for a bit of fun and then laugh they thought you know it would be really really funny is if I lived like this no absolutely not so we look at why people might be drawn towards taking drugs what they're trying to get from that and how we can do that differently and the same with the prison cells, you know, in prison, you'll find a lot of people 
that just haven't learned those skills you know that emotional management that kind of had that nurturing that care and it's kind of highlighting those issues to young people you know why do we why do people commit certain crimes how can we change that what can we do instead so whatever the topic we also do kind of things about knife crime as well and it comes from the same angle let's understand why these people carry these knives you know let's understand why people feel the need to be in gangs mm. and and again what can we do differently in those situations and it's about recognizing and having awareness of how we think and feel so outside of the bus we do lots of other workshops which are a bit more in depth than the buses about kind of the way that we think and feel and how this impacts our behavior because when we have that awareness the awareness is key yeah. once you start noticing why you're doing something you can change it most of us go through life completely oblivious to any of those things we don't give it a second thought we might think okay i didn't really like the way that i speak i'll try really hard to do differently next time and then we just carry on in the same cycle because we don't give it too much thought but once you take the time to work out where those things have come from how that's impacting me then we can start changing all these behaviors behaviors mean something they mm. always do hence why i was using the term behavioral issues I don't really like saying it because there's no such thing. Mm. There's no such thing as just a behavior that happened. There's always a reason behind it, which comes from thoughts and feelings and things that are going on internally for us. And the quicker we can recognize that as in the society, the better. Yeah, absolutely. And I think everything starts with emotions. If we can mm -hmm. understand our emotions, we can then really establish, well, why do we feel like that? What are we all perceive things very differently. So yeah. it's really important for as parents as well. If if we don't understand how we feel ourselves, and one of the things I see a lot in my work is that adults really don't understand what their emotions are. And they're they're conditioned and they're compounded. Often people are anxious, but they dis they display anger because mm -hmm. they, they're not allowed to feel anxious or that it makes them feel very vulnerable. And sometimes I think well, all the time, I think we just need to be able to establish what that emotion is and then work with that. And validation is a massive thing on mm -hmm. my radar of just validate. Of course, I'm going to be scared in this situation. That person might not like me anymore. And it could be something really seemingly minor. But if we don't acknowledge it, because most people will go, well, actually, I shouldn't feel like that. And I'm stupid for feeling like that. Yeah. Nobody is ever stupid for feeling anything. There's a reason why that emotion has fired up. That emotional literacy, that emotional understanding, I think is so, so important. And I just want to go back to something you said earlier about you know, you didn't use the term the perfect child, but the very, you know, the very conforming child. In many ways, if our children are very conforming, we need to look at that as well. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. children naturally don't conform, you know, because they are pushing the boundaries all of the time. So again, we're not just talking about badly behaved children or and I hate using that term as well. Yep. But we have to really look at how emotionally how emotionally in touch is our child with themselves with us and and vice versa how how emotionally in touch with our children are we because once you've got that nailed parenting is so much easier because communication is clearer and it's more open yeah a hundred percent like you said and that just that acceptance for ourselves mm. um and that then that helps with acceptance for our children and the way that they behave you know i was exactly what you're describing there someone that was so horrible to myself about everything I thought that everything that I did was wrong or weird or nobody else thinks like that um 
And but now, like I said, I, I don't necessarily do everything perfectly all of the time. I don't, but I'm much more accepting when I don't, which helps me to then move on. When you beat yourself up about these things, which I think a lot of us are very good at, again, coming from those upbringing and that experience, um, that only escalates that cycle further, you know, because then you feel more down and more upset about it. Then you're more irritable and inevitably you'll be snapping even more at your children. It just goes round and round in a vicious cycle. Whereas actually, so you have a bit of acceptance. Okay, didn't do that well, but what can we do to rectify that situation now? Let's recognize why why that came about. How can I do things differently? And we can continue. Apologize to your children or whatever it might be and move on. Um, so yeah, acceptance is, is so important for ourselves and other people. And absolutely. And I think the thing is what you said there was acceptance that I got this wrong, but it wasn't just that bit because many people mm. stop at that point. Yeah. Well, I got it wrong. It is what it is. But yeah. actually what you're saying is, is I'm identifying, I got that wrong. What do I need to do? What, what internal work do I need to do? Well, how do I, how do I want to do that differently? And sometimes we just need to ask ourselves that question. I think a really great, great question. Um, Cause all of a sudden it really personalizes it. If we behave in a certain way with our children, if we just think for one moment, if somebody spoke to me like that, or if somebody mm -hmm. behaved to me like that, how would I feel all of a sudden the reality hits that, yep. you know, if somebody was really angry with me and tried to stick me on the naughty step, mm, the chances are I'm not going to go there. <laughs> yeah, know, no, 100%. We need to remember they are small humans, but they're not daft. They want some degree of control over their lives. And I think when we bring emotional intelligence and communication into our parenting, it just opens up a whole new world of relationship. But I also think that I think you struggle to do that unless we open it up for ourselves. Like you said, you know, we can go through all these, you know, you can try and teach your children these things, but you'll be doing exactly the same as what I was doing in the beginning, which is I'm saying the right thing, but I'm not doing the right thing. Yeah. So I think unless we believe it and understand it, it's really hard to put it into practice. And, I, and it, but again, it benefits everyone. I think it's the best thing I ever did. Yeah. The best thing I ever did is it's changed our lives so much and we've had so much benefit from it that, you know, why wouldn't you shout it from the rooftops? Absolutely. <laughs> I do what I do and, and probably the same for reason why you do what you do. Absolutely. You know, and all the people in these roles is you come out the other side and you just think, oh my goodness, I have to let everyone know about it because it's yeah. just fantastic that it can be so different. Yeah. You know, I I was so bitter and angry and... And that's how I lived my life. Um, angry. Like I said, I found my kids to be an absolute burden. I didn't want them around me. Like, oh, God, get back to school. I was one of those. And I couldn't understand parents that were like, oh, I love the summer holidays. We do baking and we do all this. And I think, oh, God, because I was trying to convince myself that my way was OK. Mm -hmm. And again, we don't realize when we do that kind of judging and negativity is because it makes us feel better. Again, not intentionally and probably not consciously, no. but we do it a lot. Whereas now. I genuinely love having my children around. I genuinely enjoy spending time with them. Um, and that gets reflected in our relationship because again, they feel that energy. They can see that when I'm, I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm interested, I'm invested in what you've got to say. Um, and it's so nice to genuinely feel that. And we all can, we all can, if we kind of look at the things that we're doing and kind of change those pathways. It's not something that 
again, I used to always be that person that, oh, yeah, well, it seems easy for you. It's not the same for me. But we all have different experiences and I'm not I'm not taken away from those because it's incredibly hard. Of course it is. But, yeah, I just want to make it clear that there is a way out for everybody. Um, It doesn't matter what's gone on and what's happened and what point you're at and what age your children are and what age you are. You know, even if you're 60, 70 watching this and your kids are older, it's never too late. There's always a time to start thinking about these things. Uh, absolutely and I completely echo that um with you so tell me tell me I'm going back to the drugs bus what is it you're trying awareness are you trying to raise I think it's really important um for me to have but it is for everybody it's a universal provision because how we like our mental well-being impacts everybody I don't I, we know it's not a targeted resource, which was really important to me because I think, like I said, everything's become quite targeted nowadays. It's a firefighting society where we try and find a problem and then we deal with that problem once it's there. I wanted to I didn't understand why we weren't helping people understand this process anyway. It should be part of kind of a school curriculum. Um, and I know we're getting better on that with kind of mental mental health first aid and those sorts of things, which are fantastic. But actually, people should understand how their brains work. And I think if they did, I'm not saying we would wipe out mental health issues because we wouldn't. Sometimes things are always going to get overwhelming and and we're going to find ourselves in certain situations that we struggle with and we need help and support with that. But I think we could really massively limit those issues that we face as a society. Mental health has gone through the roof, as we know, and, and I think we're all struggling to deal with it. But actually, if we understood that more, then we could change those outcomes for a lot of people because there's certain things that we do that are very normal but I imagine particularly as a young person as you grow up you would think I don't understand what that is I always use the example of those kind of intrusive thoughts that we all have you know when you're driving along what would happen if I just pulled that steering wheel on the other side Mm. I can imagine I can't remember having them as a child but I'm sure I probably did but just thinking I must you know I can imagine a lot of people thinking oh my god I'm crazy Mm. like who thinks that the same is like when we have conversations in our own head. Now, not it's not the same as conversations where you maybe don't know who the other people are and that sort of thing. I know they're all me, but we have everyone has lots of conversations in their mind. Um, and again, sometimes that can be really overwhelming. But if we all understood these sorts of processes, and there's many other ones that happen, I think if we understood them all, then we can change the way people view that and how they see, how they go about getting support and help and realizing that actually we have that power. We are masters of our minds. We might not realize it and we might not feel it, but actually we hold that power and quite often we give it to other people um, in the hope that they can help us. But actually we don't need to give it to anybody because we have that power to do something about it. I think I spent so long thinking that someone else needed to sort me out or waiting for them to wave their magic wand and make me better and then getting more and more disappointed that it never came. So this is what I kind of want to highlight with the work that I do is actually make it accessible for everybody um, that we can do. And the drugs bus is a great way because it's lots of interesting topics that actually really impact our young people today. Um, But coming from that angle of understanding our thoughts and feelings and actually why we might get involved in them. um, And that's really important that everybody has that, no matter what their age and and that we learn that and whatever age you're at now. That's amazing. And I think, and and this is where you and I are coming from the very same place of, I've spent many years helping with the cure element 
and you know trying to help people fix something and mm. both of us I think are looking at coming from a prevention space yeah so let's let's sort of re let's educate people let's help people on when they start on their journey so that they are well informed and they know mm -hmm. and I am 100% behind you we have the power to make any changes that we want in our lives but sometimes we just don't believe it or we yes. don't have the confidence or any of those things and just just for um reference apparently we have 12 sub personalities within us so there are I, there, that's where our voices are and I've I, definitely met them all <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I use quite a lot in my work is in a child work, because yes. once you start connecting with those voices, they have a lot of wisdom and, and under, they will tell you a lot of things. Now, some of them are a bit uh, usually the yeah. ones sitting on your shoulder saying you can't do that. You can't do this. But actually helping to manage those parts of us is really important. But it, you're right. We're not mad. It is just being human. Mm -hmm. But I think some people misunderstand that when I'm, I hear this voice, but it's your voice. All the time it's your voice, yeah. we're all good. <laughs> and you can get really caught up in it there. I used to spend hours to the point that I would, and then it escalates to the point where it's not in my head anymore. I'm literally stood in the kitchen like, no, 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 no. It's like literally, I know you can't see me, but literally um, kind of making those conversations out loud because I'm so engrossed in what's happening in my head yeah because we always want an absolute outcome like I can't I, I think that we find it very confusing when things are in conflict with each other and I can't possibly be in conflict it has to be one or the other but that's that's not how we are and again that's a really beneficial realization when we have it and you know that solved so many of my problems just that acceptance that it's okay to feel that you like this but you also hate it um, it's okay to have that. Whereas I was like, I have to be one or the other. It can't be confusing. It has to be an absolute final one thing. And so I get so caught up in these conversations and arguments and essentially with myself that it would just rule my day. Yeah. Once I realized that those things are perfectly normal, because I'd also think that I was crazy and just not want to speak to anybody about it. Cause I'm like, people are going to think, oh my God, what's mm -hmm. happening here. But yeah, and, and to get to my age and just think I had no clue. Yeah. How scary must that be for a young person that's experiencing that as well? Mm. But we have no idea that those things are perfectly okay. And then we could judge it. And we'd also, that would then help us identify quicker and easier when things have overstepped and we actually do need more support now. We'd be much more aware of it and actually much, probably much more open to going to seek that because we'd know that that's, you know, that's okay. This is what we all go through. And sometimes we do need to get that help and support from you know therapists and gps and all those places and again that's perfectly okay but we would know that line sooner i think absolutely thank you so much for joining me i think your journey has been incredible and it's exactly why i wrote the empowered parenting program to help people raise that awareness and go on a journey really of discovering themselves in where a lot of how we are is in our subconscious and sometimes if we just bring some of that to the conscious we can we can then take control of all of this mm -hmm. so i've got a couple of questions for you so yeah what is one thing you chose not to repeat? Now, I think if we think about your daughter, because I mm -hmm. think your daughter mm -hmm. is, you know, that that parenting at slightly later. So what's one yeah. thing that you chose not to repeat from your childhood with your daughter? I think the main thing, I mean, there's lots of things, but I think the main thing is 
that um, unpredictability. I didn't want that for her, well, for any of my children. <laughs> but yeah, I think it was one of the things that really stood out to me is, um, and we know through studies and research how much unpredictability can massively impact us. I think, yeah, trying to be more consistent and on a level, um, on a daily basis, um, was really important to me. And that came down to kind of managing myself better and yeah. making sure I was recognizing my own triggers. And, and some of us, and particularly me, I have some obscure triggers mm. that I'm, but once you recognize, it doesn't matter what they are, it's yeah. once you recognize and you can do something about it. And it's just kind of, and even just saying it out loud is so calming, just to admit, you know, like I so said, quite often anger is a cover for a lot of other things. Just, yeah. you know, I'm hurt and yeah. that's okay. Um, I don't need to now be angry about it to make sure that no one sees that I'm hurt. So yeah, I think unpredictability is probably the biggest thing that I did not want to take through. And that's amazing. And people think, if we think about triggers as buttons, people talk about people press my buttons um, and almost like it's deliberate and people don't know you have buttons. No. <laughs> we don't know what other people's buttons are. It's usually not an, um, a deliberate act, but yeah, understanding those buttons, those triggers, I think are really important. Mm -hmm. Okay. So to leave on a positive note, what is one thing that you chose to do the same that was in your childhood? I think it was the element of I wanted my kids to always know that they were loved. And I definitely had that. And I think that's what definitely impacted, um, really benefited me, regardless of the other things that my parents did. Yeah. I always, there was never a doubt that they didn't love me. Whereas I think a lot of people can actually not feel that. Yeah. And I think that makes it so much harder for them as they get older. So I always wanted to make sure that my kids knew that I support them and that I love them yeah genuinely not just saying it I love you I love you I love you like that side of thing I want them to feel it yeah that's amazing Kerry you've been incredible thank you so so much for joining me I've thoroughly enjoyed this episode and um I will let people know when it's going to be published no thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure I love what you do and I and I'm glad that we connect on that so well I would like to say a big thank you to Kerry for joining me today. If you know anybody that may benefit from this podcast, please like and share it. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Thank you for joining me on this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you know anybody that may enjoy listening to this podcast, please like and share it. And also feel free to leave me a review. Also, if there are any topics that you would like me to cover in the future episodes, then drop me a message and I'll be sure to make it happen. For more hints and tips on your parenting journey, please follow me on Instagram, Facebook and TikTok. And I look forward to speaking with you soon. Bye for now.